Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content if available at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. More like Silva Bisping ness, or you know, maybe you know, maybe uh, what would be the uh... yeah, that's like pat, that's like post prime. It it is definitely a stronger class of middleweight. Like there's no yeah, that. it's like, just a, it's just a stronger. Yeah, I'm trying to think of because even like the Maya fight that was really still Silva not wanting to you know not 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 wanting to go to the ground with Maya, but still just kind of picking him apart at ease without getting much back in return. Yeah. But then it's just kind of letting him back into the fight, which is sort of a hallmark of a lot of Izzy's performances. That sort of like lack of control. You know, there are a lot of Silva Cote. Yeah. Where like, you know, Cote injured his knee in that fight, but for the two rounds of that fight that it went on, like, yeah, okay. Anderson Silva's winning, but yeah. Uh huh. Shouldn't he be winning better than this? This guy's yeah. pretty good, right? And this is yeah. just Patrick Cote is fighting. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good benchmark kind of thing. Anyway, you know, yeah. uh, no hate to Izzy. Like no. when he's when he's fun to watch, he's extremely fun to watch. Otherwise, yep. he's still interesting, and he's been fighting everybody. He's basically cleaned out the division. Yeah, and he's the rare, like, incredibly dominant champion who seems to bring a lot of emotional baggage with him. Sure. Into the cage, which is which always makes him a fascinating watch, whether the fight is amazing or not. Yeah. You're always kind of watching Adesanya. I, I wonder if Anderson also wasn't like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, Somebody who's sort of going through it just a little more quietly in his. Case. Yeah. It, it just it, you didn't notice as much because he was yeah. smiling on people so bad that. Yeah. And then you yeah. find out way later in his career, you're like, this guy's been a huge weirdo this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's been dealing with things this entire time. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, you know, it's, it, it really is, it, it is a piss poor card. It's, uh, it, it's not the main event we'd like to see through no fault of either of the fighters participating. And then it used to have Menel Cop versus Kai Car France. Yeah. That which, was- uh, I guess like three weeks ago when I looked at this with excitement, I was so young and naive then you really were. I, uh, I guess then I was like, that probably did a lot of heavy lifting to make this card seem more fleshed out than it is. Yeah. And there was like Casey O'Neill versus Vivian Raujo. That, that was too. Yeah. That's a good fight. A good fight. Hasn't lost a lot else. since. Exactly. Then. It just lost a couple of linchpin kind of matchups. And then it's like, uh, all this undercard and then that's the main event i don't know 86 dollars yeah. our producer told us would be the total cost i'll tell you this i might be willing to spend 86 australian dollars <laughs> on this card i got 12 bucks in my checking account <laughs> you know that i could maybe swing but 86 american dollars no surrey not for not- this yeah what do you think he is mr rockefeller over here <laughs> rockefeller that's but, the Australian uh, Rockefeller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing is, too, that, you know, it has to be noted, Drikus Duplessis included, fighters are getting a lot more picky, too, about where they're going to, they're, where they're willing to go. Yeah, well, and um, I mean, Phil and I just talked about this, and, and his, his point, which I thought was a good one, is, is that it's probably a, a combination like I, I think you're right i think fighters are getting more picky but i think it's also that the ufc is not willing to they have way more incentives than they used to to not give in to that pickiness at all yeah yeah so if we, if a fighter is like uh, you know like they probably could have thrown enough money at drikas to get him to accept this date yeah you know yep uh he just preferred not to but it's probably the moment he's like well i could do it for more money um Imagine I'm doing an Australian accent there, but like drunker. 
That's how Drinkus talks. The moment he says that, they're like, ah, no, we'll just find somebody who'll do it for less. Although, interestingly, Sean Strickland also held out for more money to get this fight. So he just happened to come in uh, better than I mean, they needed all this on in the cart. Somebody had some leverage. Somebody he he was the one that had the leverage lowest without going over. Yeah. uh, Type of bargaining there for Sean Strickland, I would guess. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise, too, I mean, I, I can't remember which fight it was. Maybe it was Monal Cop after Kai Kara France pulled out, where there were rumors going around that the UFC might have to take him off the card altogether because they couldn't find people that wanted to travel to Australia to fight. You no know? And I, don't, I don't want to travel to Australia to not fight. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine going all the way there and then getting beaten up. And, you know, you take you look at like... Uh, Oh, Ian Gary, too, talking, you know, like Dana White was had this whole like, oh, we've got our Irish fighter plan. Mm-hmm. We, we've got a I've got a, a Conor McGregor coloring book and I always stay in the lines kind of business. Um, and it was very much like, oh, Ian Gary's next next fight will be on at Madison Square Garden, you know, a mm-hmm. short hop uh-huh. across the pond for Irish fans. Uh-huh. And Gary turned around the media's like, I am not fighting in New York City. Do you know how <laughs> high those taxes are? No. That's funny. <laughs> so we're getting more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because same thing with Australia, too. That's a big part of it. It's not even fighters don't yeah. want to travel there. It's just like I have to pay like I have to pay to take my money back home with me. I have to yeah. pay taxes there. I have to pay taxes when I get back to the to the U.S. Like, yeah, and it's not even all my money. Yeah, still got to pay my team and travel and uh, yep. expenses and things like that. Yep. So anyway, Israel Adesanya, Sean Strickland. Um, Look, I yep. don't hate this fight. You know. No, it's fine. I mean, every it's like it is in this case, like a prime Anderson Silva fight where you're like, you know, I still want to see the performance. Yeah. I mean, I here's the thing. Provided Izzy wins this, I have no doubts we will be seeing Izzy versus Drakus next. Yeah, I don't I don't doubt that either. Dana White and Adesanya are like both doing a little, you know, shilly shally posturing. Uh But literally including all the talk about Sean Strickland, every other word out of Adesanya's mouth right now is I hate Drikus Duplessis and yeah. I want to fight his, I want to fight his ass. Yeah. Like you're not, they're not, that fight is not getting passed. It's going to happen. So it doesn't feel like we've lost anything with this. It just no. sort of feels like a buy. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think uh, like many of Izzy's, these sort of in-betweener fights of his between the really, high stakes and uh, almost exclusively, therefore very exciting performances he has. I think this could be surprisingly competitive. Yeah. Um, with the caveat that it might not be. Yeah. I Because uh, Adesanya is, uh, you put him in there against Pereira and people are like, oh, uh, Poetan is like, he's the big puncher. He crushes people. Make no mistake, Adesanya is a very dangerous striker. Yeah. So he could absolutely do to Sean Strickland what Poetan did. Mm-hmm. He could just walk him onto a lightning bolt counter and end his night. Sean Strickland, you know, we, we've we've talked endlessly about his defensive vulnerabilities made up for by his defensive awareness, but it only takes a tricky enough, fast enough opponent to prove to you why you probably shouldn't be standing in that position in the first place. Yeah. I mean, all, all the other li- liabilities and, you know, uh, problems with his stance and posture that he has. Yeah. There is a reason that like, that active or that like set static guard positions exist in combat sports and that it's not all hand trapping. Yeah. And it's because, Sometimes you you can't guess right. You're never if you're if you're trying to do all your defense through parrying, you are probably going to guess very wrong. Sure. A whole number of times. Yeah. 
parrying and leaning back. Yeah. Like um, I said, the, the, the other, the other posture things aside, it, it's yeah. Sean Strickland. He relies so much on his ability to see a punch coming yeah, and block it in the moment with one of his hands. And it's just like, that is, that's highly risky. Yeah. That being said, it, it is pretty good for stopping like initial strikes from getting through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really think that it is kind of up to Izzy to a certain extent, whether he, as it often is, whether he makes this fight easy on himself or not. Yeah. And um, I mean, and there's also the low kicks. I mean, Strickland is pretty yeah. low kickable. He does adjust, but usually it takes a little while. Maybe as he can get him out of there with something like that as well, just start breaking him down very quickly like he did to Paulo Costa. Mm-hmm. But for as long as Izzy allows Sean Strickland to come forward, which he frequently does. Yeah, Izzy, I would expect him to. Yeah, uh, and I think he shouldn't. I mean, just like the, the potato rematch, I think he would really benefit from at least trying to press in and expose Sean Strickland's bad positioning by force. Um, but as long as he allows Sean Strickland to come forward, Sean Strickland does have exactly the right kind of offense to just land a lot of strikes on Israel Adesanya, which is jabs. Yeah. Everybody who jabs Izzy lands because that's, that's the shot you get through on a guy who routinely sort of waits for you to throw so he can counter you. And this is kind of, Izzy's big problem. He's it, it occurred to me watching his footage this week that he's very much like Stephen Thompson. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, you give Stephen Thompson Darren Till or Tyron Woodley, and he's kind of confused because they just aren't opening themselves up for him to punish them. On the other hand, you give him Luke A, Masvidal, um, and he can carve them to bits. Because they are constantly walking into range, constantly trying to get to him. And unlike most fighters, he is more comfortable in that kind of matchup and more dangerous, more effective. And Adesanya is kind of the same way. Like, if you're totally, totally passive, he's a much more consistent pot shotter than Steven Thompson. Mm-hmm. But if your defense is good enough, um, he's not really going to blow you out of the water with pot shots. And he really does struggle to build off of that, to to build forward momentum against somebody who isn't like crumbling from the strikes he is getting off. What he wants is for somebody to come at him. And there's a particular thing. I mean, you can point to Sean Strickland being too reliant on hand defense. Mm-hmm. Adesanya hardly uses hand defense. No, yeah. And I think he could stand to use it sometimes. Like I, he does. My my point about using hand defense was just that, like, oh, I get you. Yeah, yeah. When when that's all you do, then you are setting yourself up for other problems. But I still, honestly, I like. I also have the same thing to say about the high guard. Like, if all you do is go out there and put up a high guard, for sure, for sure, you are asking to be absolutely roasted. Yeah, and it's. You know, you, the best thing to have is to have a combination and to and shit. I would take the parries and catches over just a high guard. At least, yeah, it's, I, I at least too. it's active. You know? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, um, like there's not a lot of there's not a lot of really like sharp technical parts of Sean Strickland's game. But you could you could argue that one of the things that has gotten him to become a constant top ten fighter in this middleweight division is that like. He he actually has a thoughtful defense that he hundred percent that he's mindful about. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he is he is one of the better defensive strikers in the division just because he's so active and aware and focused on it. Yeah, um, Adesanya. Meanwhile, he hangs his hands down. He frequently hangs his head forward, trying to bait people. Mm-hmm. The the best way to stop a jab is to catch it. Yeah, you just just. Slap it out of the way. And that's what, I mean, when Jan Blokovich did that over and over to Izzy, he could hardly get any jabs through because he was just ready to parry them all. Izzy doesn't do that. So jabs hit him. 
uh, because they're just the hardest shots to get out of the way with head movement. And then the other problem with Izzy's style is that because he makes the head movement and the footwork like the first layer of defense, you can kind of like get him out of position and force him to reset. And this works because he's a really weird, creative counterpuncher. Yeah. But in order to walk into those counters, you got to do what Robert Whitaker did in their first fight or what Pereira did in their last fight. You got to step in there and try to put some heat on him. If you just keep jabbing after him, he's not going to get as many of the openings he wants. It's like the most effective parts of Vittori's fights with Adesanya when he was like double and triple jabbing him and just popping him with that shot. So I, I, I think Adesanya could cook Strickland. He should cook Strickland here. If I were him, I would try to make a statement. You know, if yeah. I were him, obviously much easier said than done. Um, and I think he absolutely can. And I really, really hope that that last fight with Pereira was not just indicative of an adjustment to a specific opponent, but hopefully sort of a sea change in his championship mentality. Yeah. Because I had been saying for ages before those two fights that Adesanya is going to get himself in trouble by just allowing people to hang around with him when he is perfectly capable of shutting them out of the fight. And when, after that happens, usually probably he would finish them. I Um, I do have a sneaking suspicion. Yeah. That Sean Strickland is a lot more like Paulo Costa to Adesanya than he is Yul Romero to Adesanya. Yeah. If he's just that vulnerable to the pot shots and they just start breaking him, then. Well, and, and not even just being vulnerable, but even, you know, think we talked about Adesanya as being sort of a champion who carries a lot of, a baggage into the cage with him. Yeah. Like I cannot imagine a world where Sean, where Israel Adesanya is stepping into that octagon thinking, Oh, Sean Strickland might hurt me. Oh yeah. No, I doubt that. But you still think he's probably going to fight off the back foot. That's characteristic of him. And yeah, I mean, I'm still going to, I'm still going to bet on him being, who he tends to be here, but I also would not be at all surprised if we see him be more aggressive and I, I uh, think he should. I really more disrespectful. Yeah, I think he should. I think he should try to walk Strickland down. Strickland is not much when he's put. He is forced onto the back foot. No. Is he himself is way more comfortable there, uh, but he's good on the front foot. He is capable of pushing somebody back on the edge of his reach and it makes his kicking game all the more effective. As long as he allows Strickland to come forward, he's not going to get as many wide open counter opportunities as he would like. And Strickland is a really consistent high output fighter. It's just like 80% jabs. Yeah. I, I think that there's a couple of things that I think are probably going to happen in this fight. If I'm, Mm -hmm. Trying to do my like, you know, see a vision of the future thing. My cat, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm gazing into the crystal ball here. Mm-hmm. But my guess is that Strickland will start out on the front foot because he feels like he has a point to prove. And doesn't you know wants very much to not get humiliated into not by by not fighting you know mm-hmm. he, he's really kind of you know he, he strickland's a dude who he's he's out there struggling in his own right oh yeah trying to make make sure that he puts that he puts his manliest foot forward yeah and the fight he had, but to that extent, I think the fight he had with Abus Magomedov is really instructive in that early on in that fight, when Magomedov had, uh, you know, before before the realities of what he was dealing with yeah. sort of caught up to him. He just tuned Strickland up mm-hmm. for a round, for for four and a half minutes of a round. He thought it was insanely high, fast pace, though. Yeah, yeah, but it was 
he outlanded Sean Strickland three to one. Yeah. You know, how, how many strikes did he throw in that first round? Uh, he threw. Uh, let's see. He threw 60. And he landed half of them. Yeah. And Israel Adesanya in his last fight certainly did not throw 60 through 38 against Alex Pereira, but he threw 58 in round two. Uh, the abridged, in fact, that can, no, that can't be right. No. Yeah, no, which, is that, that can't be right. Doesn't feel right, according it to my said, memory. It says that he that that round that second round only went uh, four four minutes and twenty seconds. There must he, be a lot of there must be a lot of jabs in there or something like not yeah. the kind of strikes we're envisioning. Yeah, but he he was scored with fifty eight in the second round and, and against uh, Jared Cannonier, he threw forty eight in both the first two rounds. Mm-hmm. He's capable of working at a at a solid, a clip. good pace, certainly, yeah. At, for for a large amount of time, and very consistent in his rematch with Vittori. Yeah, that that one actually jumped out at me in in review because yeah. I remember it being one of his flatter performances. But it's a it's a pretty strong one. He he's pretty much just beating Vittori's ass the entire time. Yeah, and so I get the feeling Strickland is going to come out and he's going to face something similar in the first round. He's going to have Adesanya on the back foot a lot, but he's also just going to be walking into a lot of shots. Mm-hmm. And my guess is over the course of that process, he is going to start meeting offense that even if it doesn't necessarily convince him to take his foot off the gas, it starts to convince Adesanya to put his foot on the gas. Yeah. And as he gets, as Adesanya gets more comfortable, I think he's a lot more likely to find Strickland slipping into the Marvin Vittori, uh, you know, Jared Cannonier kind of headspace or, uh, you know, the, the Paulo Costa headspace where suddenly it's just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to throw because the yeah. faint, there are too many feints. There are too many ideas. There are too many things coming at me. Well, Sean Strickland always knows what to throw. It, well, to be fair, it's the jab. It, it's true. <laughs> it's but I mean, he does. But going back, if he starts to get pushed back, he's in he's, trouble then for sure. Yeah. And I just think that I don't think he can have the first round he had with Abus Magomedov. Uh, against Israel Adesanya. And I think he's very, very likely to. Yeah. And I don't think he can, I don't think he can have that kind of bad start and turn that into a momentum building performance. I think he's more likely to find Adesanya not at all slightly willing to drop the momentum. Even if Adesanya had to spend a whole another round going backwards, I think he would find I, I, I hope I hope regularly. Right. My, the, one of the things that I find so frustrating about Izzy is that he does, even when he starts strong, he does just sort of let people into the fight at a certain point. I think it's because yeah. he wants to draw them onto counters. Yeah. Um, and it's like his idea of like managing the pace of the fight, managing his gas tank. And I think he thinks, all right, I've beaten them up enough. Now I'm going to finish them if they come in and chase me. And I think that would be a danger. Again, dangerous. Is, is Sean Strickland going to finish Adesanya? Absolutely not. Yeah. That seems very unlikely. But uh, but you could see him having like a strong third or fourth round. Exactly. Or where if he makes it like, that far, yeah. Where, where he, you know, Sean Strickland gets his Nate Diaz moment, basically. Yeah, yeah. Where like he's getting his ass beat for two thirds, three quarters of the fight. And then has one moment where he like is clearly winning or something, and then gets to flex a whole bunch, and everybody's like, "Oh, you know, Sean Strickland is the real champ." Yeah, all I know is that Sean Strickland, characteristically, if you 
even if you beat him up early, if you let him hang around and you allow him to come forward, he will put a lot of long range offense on you a lot. Yeah. I just think that a lot of that too, though, is that he, he has his best ability to do that against opponents that don't know how to handle pressure at all. And like, just mentally, not even physically don't, not even like, Oh, they don't, they don't, they don't have the right footwork or yeah. whatever. But there are a lot of fighters who just don't know, you know, they, they start getting pushed around even very good fighters where they, they start getting pushed around. And if they can't stop themselves from getting pushed around, they just don't know how to handle it. Sure. Yeah. I have some technical quibbles with the way as he handles pressure, but, but mentally it doesn't, it doesn't make him super uncomfortable. He's no, he's happy to fight off the back foot. And I think, you know, even at the level of guys like Christoph Yatko mm-hmm. and Jared Cannonier, like they've pre- presented very difficult fights for Strickland. Yeah. Where they're just not that breakable. And yeah, he offers the same opportunities over and over again. So sure. if you know what you're seeing, you're going to see a lot of it. Like I said, it feels to me like it's really up to Izzy whether this fight is yeah. competitive or not. Yeah. But just knowing him, it doesn't it, – it also, I can't think it impossible that sure we get some quite competitive rounds in this fight. Yeah. Just because I, of who Izzy is. He should go out there and dust Sean Strickland. I hope he does. I hope he goes on the front foot. I hope he beats his ass. I, like I say, I, I kind of expect there to be a switch where Sean Strickland starts on, starts on the front foot – yeah. Walks into a lot of shots and then has to reconsider as is as Adesanya finds himself also having to reconsider being like, oh, I'm I'm clipping this guy all the time. Yeah. I don't need to move backward to do this. You know? Yeah. I mean, I would pick Izzy even if I knew for certain it was going to be one of his flattest performances. Yeah. Strickland is just, he doesn't cut the cage off well enough. He doesn't cut the cage at all. Yeah. And he's not a, he's not a particularly dangerous striker. Yeah. So even if he lands a ton of jabs, what else is he going to do? Not much. Yeah. And he's, if he's just pushing forward, like I said, you watch, you go back and you watch that Abus Magomedov first round. And there is a lot of Strickland lunging forward to find that the opponent that he's trying to hit had just circled out slightly and is now cracking him three times as Strickland is totally right. You know, out of, out of step with the straight line of his opponent. And it's just that Magomedov is not, he's not used to handling somebody who didn't just go away right then. Mm-hmm. and would keep coming after him. And he got frustrated and he got sick of it. He got tired. And the moment he started to break a little. Yeah. But it's Sean Strickland, you know? Yeah. You could, you could go too passive against Sean Strickland and let him into the fight, but you got to break. <laughs> you have to actually break for him to like turn that into a win. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think he's breaking under Sean Strickland's pressure. I don't see it. No. All right. Odds on the bout. Adesanya is a prohibitive favorite. Open at minus 515. Currently at minus 649. Strickland open at plus 405. Currently up at plus 491. I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, it should be wide either way. Nobody's going to bet on Sean Strickland here. Yeah. I mean, it should be wide. I I have no opinion on numbers over 500, but it should certainly be wide. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to a heavyweight bout, Tai Tuivasa, Alexander Volkov. And, um, Woo! yeah, this is, I mean, I get it. Tai Tuivasa, he's a fun guy. He's a fan favorite. So he needs to be on this Aussie card. But... <clears throat> You know what I just imagined is Ty Tervasa losing this fight and then the image of him very sort of somberly drinking a beer out of a shoe, just sipping a beer out of a shoe, sadly, backstage. (laughs) (laughs) 
somebody hands him a consolation beer and he just like sighs and takes his shoe <laughs> off and pours the beer into it. <laughs> a pond or some shoey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Fan favorite, fun fighter, cool guy, whatever. It. This feels like another reset of his prospect hopes. Where, like, he came out, he, I, I know we're kind of already there, but, like, yeah, Cyril Gaon and Sergei Pavlovich are title contenders. They are clear top five guys, you know? Your uh, Volkov is more like, he's that border of, he's more of a gatekeeper to the top ten. He's more of the heavyweight Neil Magny. Yeah. And... I think the real realistic thing for Tuivasa is that he's always going to be because of his power and speed. He's always going to have brief bursts where he can go on a tear and just wreck a whole bunch of people. Neil Neil Maximum knee. Yeah. Neil Neil Mega knee. <laughs> Neil Neil Macroni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil Macroni. There you go. <laughs> uh, Good character. He Tuivas is always going to have these bursts where he's going to win two or three fights or whatever, and people are going to be wowed because, yeah. man, when he's winning, it is just highlight real knockouts. Mm-hmm. And but unless something changes drastically, he, he's the top. The top end of that division is going to present some hard setbacks. Yeah, and guys like Volkov are going to come along and show him those same setbacks pretty regularly too. Yeah. He's Derek Lewis without the inner peace. Exactly. So, you know, exact, exact same penchant for, uh, wild overthrown strikes and risky exchanges, but just doesn't weather same, things as calmly as Derek Lewis can. Yeah. I mean, cause Derek, Derek Lewis was not the world's most durable heavyweight. He got yeah. hurt all the time. And he was arguably less technical than Tai Tuivasa. Yeah. But he knew how to manage his pace and how to keep himself around yeah. in a fight where he always had a chance of winning. Tai Tuivasa has the same chance, but he doesn't know how to extend it the way yeah. Derek Yeah, maybe can. he'll learn that, too. He's only 30, which sure for, for a heavyweight, you know, he's still in his, his baby clothes. Um, even with a decade of fighting already under his belt. Those men yeah. age different. Um. So maybe he'll find that inner peace or something, but until he does, this just seems a lot like a fight where yeah. he hits Alexander Volkov a bunch. Alexander Volkov does not go away, mm-hmm. starts popping him with low kicks and jabs, and Tuivasa starts to get hurt and starts to crumble. Yeah, jabs and push kicks to the body. Volkov yeah. throws those, and he didn't like those against uh, Cyril Gaon. Tuivasa even could get a takedown and some top control. Tuivasa's yeah. ground game is still miserable. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Volkov doesn't wrestle offensively a lot, but Tuivasa is so weak there. Like, yeah. Why wouldn't you at least just find out if you can get on top of him? Because if Volkov like mounts Tai Tuivasa, it's done. Or if you know if if he just catches a kick and tips to Ivasa sure, over, sure, that top game is really strong. Yeah, and he's huge, which helps. Yeah, um, yeah otherwise, you, like you got to look at Volkov's history. He has been knocked out twice: once by Derek Lewis and once a a volume TKO by Vitaly Minikov. Yeah, and he has otherwise remained and continues to remain one of the most durable heavyweights out there. Minikov, who is one of those like gone tier fighters like a really good fighter yeah a a a, a what could have should have been could have should have been for elite heavyweights out there who just never fought in the ufc right but he's uh, like he's like a top five heavyweight type and and uh, yeah volkov as you said he's neil magna he's supposed to lose to those guys and then he just nobody everyone else just below that just sort of bounces off of him yep yeah, I feel the same way. Tai Tuvasa has not developed in any way that I can see Mm-mm. since his UFC debut. Um, his fights are just very chancy. Yep. Like several of his big KO wins have come within moments of him getting hurt. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, like he, he, there's some qualities to like, he's a pretty good combination puncher. Like he puts his shots together. Well, very smooth. Really has great weight transfer. Yeah, you know? he does. Um, but that is like the only thing in, in the boxing realm that he does. Well, he doesn't really have yeah. an effective jab. He doesn't have great defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything is full power all the time. So he can't like moderate, uh, his energy or his, his, the degree of risk that he is accepting. Yeah. He also seems to be one of those fighters who is tunnel vision focused on his own offense. Yeah. And just seems to not see, the punches yep. coming back at him. So whenever he does get hit clean, it always seems like it shocks. Yeah. So yeah, I'll take Volkov because he doesn't yep. go away easily and he keeps a good steady pace and he's got some attractive tools. He can maybe get some grappling done if he wants. I just Volkov is the kind of fighter you trust to be there for three rounds fighting pretty well. Yeah. The top five of heavyweight is made up of like great athletes who perform consistently and then in the te- in the, the the five under that, you really have like the mix of okay athletes who perform consistently, great athletes who kind of fly apart at a moment's notice, <laughs> and Volkov is firmly he's firmly one of those kinds of guys where he's just gonna stay. He's not a great athlete, but he is a super consistent performer. Mm-hmm. And you know, Tuivasa is also one of those kind of guys too, where he is a a great athlete who cannot perform consistently. And I, you know, when you, when you look at the guy who you're going to trust to win more fights, more consistently, you got to take the consistent guy. Of course. Yeah. It's, I know it's some easy, like blanket statements to make, but it's just the, no, that's heavyweight is the blanket statement division. It is. It is. (laughs) Let's be real. Broad strokes is, is what most of these guys use in their fighting styles, and that's a pretty good way of predicting their fights yeah. most times. I have to say, too, for Volkov, I mean, the, the whole thing about, like, heavyweights aging really weird and taking forever. Right. He looked like he had – he looked like he was done in that gone Tybura yeah. Aspinall run. He looked like um, he looked like Elvis when he hit like thirty five. Yeah, like suddenly it had all caught up to him. I'm like what the? Wait a minute! Like his hairline is receding suddenly. He's got a paunch. Yeah, he looks he's... tired. There's bags under his eyes. He's slow. What's going on? Turns out he was just fighting the guys who beat guys like <laughs> like Alexander Volkov. And one well, and two, he's just turned it around too since then, like physically as well. You know, yeah, maybe he, looked, he was a little um, burnt out, he, perhaps. He changed. He changed his training up. I think. Okay, had to fresh. He uh, he looks rejuvenated. He looks like a guy. You know, he's he's had his first Andre Arlovsky moment, or his first yeah. ovary moment, where you're like, because it's always happens with heavyweights if they if they can last long enough at the high at a high level, you're like, oh, this is it. They're done. Yeah, and then you check back five years later, and you're like, "Huh?" Yeah, the heavyweights can successfully reinvent themselves using the like desperate, laughably simple adjustments that we routinely mock in better divisions. Yeah. Like, oh, you're going to come into this fight and, oh, you do southpaw now. Or like, oh, you think you're like going to turn your career around because you have a new strength and conditioning. Yeah, exactly. Now. you got a strength and conditioning coach for the first time in your career. And you're like, oh, yeah. wait, wow. Like, this you- shit doesn't work in real divisions. But at heavyweight, they make a change like that. And it's like you get a whole second life. Yeah. I mean, we just saw Derek <laughs> Lewis looked absolutely washed. Goes out there and like flying knee KOs. You know, Marco Sergio de Lima. And if he wins like three of his next four fights, I won't be shocked. Yeah. You know? Nope. Yeah. Volkov looked a little tired in there, but he was also just fighting the, some of the best dudes in the division. Yeah. And it looked like he kind of got himself back into shape. And now he just looks like Volkov. Yeah. So, yep. Hard not to pick him here. All right. Odds on the fight. Tuivasa is the underdog, opened at plus 173, currently plus 213. Uh, Tuivasa, 
Oh, wait, no, I was, yeah, Tuivasa is the underdog. Opened plus 173, currently plus 213. Volkov opened at minus 195, currently at minus 245. Volkov's so. going to win this fight and then drink a large shot of vodka out of a a, a felt shoe with a sort of long elfin point <laughs> and some bells. That's what they wear in Russia. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, that brings us to a flyweight fight. Manel Cop, Felipe Dos Santos. And um, could have been, should have been. Man, I would yeah. have liked. Man, I would have liked to see Manel Cop Kaikar France here. That would have been an awesome fight. This Great is a fight. Matchup. This is a fight where this is the kind of thing where you look at it by uh, metagame and by strategy. Mm-hmm. And you think like, oh, Felipe Dos Santos could do all right in this. Sure. Yeah. You know, he's busy. He's a Charles Oliveira training partner. You can see that style that Oliveira mm-hmm. is bringing with all those guys where it's really aggressive front foot volume, that Brazilian Muay Thai style kind of, you know, little upright, locked, lots of power kicks. Yep. Uh, punch your way into the clinch kind of thing. And you look at Cop, and he's got this, you know, very unmetagame, slow-paced, pressure counterpunching game. It's especially not meta. The meta game at flyweight. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, maybe Felipe Dos Santos could have something. And then you just kind of think about all the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. And like, this would be a really sad fight for Mono Cop to lose. It would. Yeah. Uh, it's I'm, I mean, yeah, cop. I, I get exactly what you're saying. I, I even had kind of the same thought. Like, cop does not have the MMA game that you think no. of as being just the broad strokes of what tends to work. Yeah, but he does have his own game pretty fully figured out. And it, it's it seems like it's coming along actually really well and interestingly in the UFC, honestly. Yeah, I agree. I think he has he he appears to be really hitting his stride. Um, and uh, and, and what that game is is yeah, I mean the the reason it doesn't it's not the super aggressive high output approach. It's a lot more patient. It relies a lot more on movement and positioning and counters. Um, but he's extremely fast. He has great vision for finding those counters. Um, and he could totally slug it out in a pocket exchange if he needs to. Tons of power. Tons of power. Yeah. Uh, just a more than danger, dangerous and precise enough to make a more patient, methodical style work. And then you look at Felipe Dos Santos, and while he has the broad strokes of what looks like a promising MMA game, it's a lot of broad strokes. Yeah. This guy throws his jab and has to like stumble in square another foot and a half before the right hand follows. Uh, Like the forward movement is built so recklessly into his punching mechanics that he, he is just there to be picked off on the way in. And And there are no defensive instincts built into his game at all right now. No. Yeah. It is very much like I meet you in the pocket coming forward and you can you you do your best when I get there if you're not overwhelmed by me being there or you push me backward and I have to desperately try to counter you off of me because yeah. I'm going to get hit by everything that you throw. Yeah, super porous defense um, and not even really the technical depth to insist on a pressure fight if the opponent doesn't let him. Yeah, no, it's like very his, easy to push him back. His footwork is just kind of a shambles, and all he has for defense when he does have to defend himself is to get the hell out of dodge. And so, yeah, you you can you can kind of snatch the initiative away from him and put him badly out of position, uh, and and test that defense a lot more aggressively if you want. I feel like there are a lot of ways for uh, for Cop to win this fight. Yeah, biggest being, I just think, you know, Dos Santos will probably go out there and try to pressure to start because he'll be yeah. throwing first. He'll get countered a couple times and then he'll start ending up being pressured. Yeah. And if you let cop have the front foot and you try to throw to convince him to back off, you are going to have a really bad time. Yeah. You're getting nuked. So yeah, got to take cop probably a knockout. 
feels very, very possible. Uh, and yeah, just like it's too bad because that Kai Kara France, like Kai yeah. Kara France, is the kind of dude who a can take a hell of a shot, mm-hmm. and b would himself spend a lot of time going forward and staying on cop. Yes, increasingly he knows he he knows he has to do that to win more of his fights. So he's been a lot more aggressive and yeah, I would have loved to see those exchanges. Yeah. And that is that is definitely, you know, you don't want to let cop both pressure and counter. Yeah. It could have been a much slower fight than this will probably be, but it would have been really yeah. interesting. Yeah, it would have been fascinating. So a uh a young fighter getting thrown way far into the deep end early in his career before he has a chance to really establish it. He's 22 and he's had seven pro fights and he fights like a guy who's 22 and has had seven pro fights. It's a good base style. He'll he'll probably bounce back. I think this is in the long run, probably still a good thing for DeSantos. I mean, or maybe you could argue he just could use more time regionally to develop. But um, I think if if a guy gets fights a much better, much more experienced fighter early in their career and gets crushed, if that breaks them, then probably they weren't going to be much anyway. Yeah, I mean there is that. There's a it, lot of good prospects who who get stepped up too soon, and then they it, it drives them to get better. It's true. You just hope that the, that he doesn't get hurt bad enough in this that of changes his career yeah. trajectory that way. Yeah. Well, I hope Mal Cop is kind and just one shots him. Yeah. All right. So it'll be fun to watch. It just doesn't mean much. Yeah. Exactly. Like it doesn't get Cop anywhere. Yep. It's just a fight. It, it is an all all downside, no upside kind of fight in terms of. Yeah. Like sporting record i mean i know he gets paid so there's an upside to it sure in that way and maybe he adds something to his highlight reel so there's an upside of it in that way but sure there's no reputation upside and the downside if he loses this fight like yeah that's a big hit that's a huge huge unfortunately he will very likely win it but it is a kind of a shame because mail cop he's 29 um you know he's had all good performances and gotten seem to have really put it together lately. Yeah. Three decent wins. And then the fights he was booked for leading up to this were Alex Perez, Davis and Figueredo and Kai Cara France. Yeah. And instead he's fighting an absolute, uh, green prospect. Yeah. The guy should be getting into the title mix, if not already in it at this point. So I hope we just don't, never get to see Manel Cobb fight for the title or at least fight for contention because I would love to see him at that tier. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a heavyweight bout. Justin Taffa, Austin Lane. And um, (laughs) this is the first of a a theme for a lot of the rest of this card. Mm Mm-hmm which is where you watch tape on one guy and you're like, yeah, they're not going to win this. And then you watch tape on their <laughs> opponent and you're like, ah, well, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I got to say, honestly, this one with the way Justin Toffa fights, you really just kind of have to make a guess, a gut, a gut pick. Yeah. Cause it's <laughs> yeah. just like, he has great power. He's, you know, is that a joke about how he's the only heavyweight in history who's missed weight? Gut pick. <laughs> should have been. Should have been. <laughs> uh, no, and now two other, like one or two other heavyweights have missed weight now. So he's not the only one. He was just the first, I think. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he has he has good power. He has good form. Uh, a lot like Tai Tuivasa in that kind of way. But it really is things either his game either kind of instantly works against somebody or the fact that he doesn't have anything else other than pocket punching becomes a huge problem right away for him. And 
I think it's it's hard for me to look at the fight he had with Austin Lane and think that this isn't the problem fight. Because, I mean, Lane is, he is raw. He's His game is raw. Not it does good. not it does not functionally exist in a whole bunch of places. Yeah. But he is huge and he is fast and he kicks a lot. Yeah. And when he, his first fight with Justin Taffa, it only lasted 30 seconds, but a lot of those 30 seconds were Justin Taffa being insanely uncomfortable with the distance at which Austin Lane could hit him and which he could not hit Austin Lane back. Yeah. And I just got I just got to go with Austin Austin Lane off that. Like maybe Austin Lane or maybe Toffa knocks him out could certainly happen would not be surprised. But if I'm just looking at the little bit of this fight they had and what what in, immediately shook out to it to me was like, "Oh man, Justin Toffa is struggling with how how big this dude is and how fast he is for his size." This isn't dead. Juan Adams kind of situation where he's huge but too slow to get out of the way of anything. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it would be silly to say this. Um it, you know, because it, it was only a 29-second fight. Yeah. Before Lane just gouged off his entire eye out of his head. Yeah. Uh except that like the the line between Tafa's good performances and his bad ones is really like, can he finish you in the first minute and a half? Yeah. So like that is kind of the deciding part of the fight. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm inclined to agree. I don't know. Austin Lane is not good. He's not good. He, I'm, this is not a, Oh, Austin Lane is good, but like Jared Vandera is not good either. Yeah, it's, that's very true. Vandera has a more structured game than Lane, but Lane is a much better athlete. Yeah. And bigger. And yeah, he was just like, he seemed to have a practical idea. He's like, I'm just going to stay away and hit this kick guy in with the huge body. kicks. Yeah, kick yeah. him in the gut. And, um, sure. Yeah, I'm just going to pick him. Like, it just oh. seems like if Tafa's looking that uncomfortable... He doesn't have like he doesn't have other things he can go to. He's just going to be doing this same, you know, trying to jump, basically being way outside and trying to jump into the pocket sure. to land one one or two really hard shots and then having to reset and do the same thing over again. So could work, but I'm just going to pick him to get stuck out at the end before he can jump in every time and have Lane just be like throwing lots of kicks and moving around and being a, a big pain in his ass. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm just, I'm sorry. I just got distracted watching this fight, uh, their first fight and being yeah. very uh, perturbed by the fact that the doctor goes over to tell Dan Margriotta that the fight's probably going to be stopped. And he's like smirking the whole time. What's up with this doctor? Wipe that smirk off your face, son. Where's that hot this woman is, in the blue dress they used to have do these events? These are people's lives, sir. Yeah, come on. Justin Taffa may not look like it, but he is a man. He's a human man. Yeah, I don't know. Boston Lane, sure, whatever. It's a stupid fight. Justin it's Taffa. really funny that they felt the need to do this rematch. Like, oh, we right. got to see this one run back. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? Top open to minus 233 is currently minus 207. Lane opened at plus 203 is currently plus 183. It's it's just a coin flip. Like, I know I, I'm sounding very, like, assertive in my pick yeah. because that's the nature of the show. But I am literally just like Austin Lane could get knocked out or he's just going to make Justin Toffa really frustrated and have a really ugly fight that I think he'll win. And I'm picking the ugly fight. I think he'll win. Yeah. I mean, can Austin Lane even maintain the pace that he was doing at the beginning of that fight? Are both guys just going to get really tired in the second round if neither gets finished? That's my, also my guess is, <sighs> yeah, we get a round of Austin Lane Austin Lane's kicking game being a deciding factor. And then we get two rounds of, Who's who? Who's big enough to have the advantage when they hug? 
be the <laughs> the factor, which Austin Lane is gigantic. So oh God, what a terrible fight. Yeah. Uh, all right, that brings us to the final fight of the card of the main card: Tyson Pedro, Anton Turcali. And um, which side is the question? Which side of the Tyson Pedro? We can pretend he's gotten better line. Does Anton Turcali fall on? Yeah. Once again, this is another one. I was like watching, watching film on one dude and being like, nah, not him. Then you go back and you watch or Then you watch the film on the other side. And you're like, well, yeah, I guess, I is guess it, maybe. <laughs> the, the thing with Tyson Pedro seems to be pretty consistently that he is like a light heavyweight Edmund Shabazian. Yes, he has clearly lost confidence in his ability to scrap out a hard fight, especially in the pocket. I don't know that he ever had it. I mean, he's only he's only ever beaten people in the first round. Yeah, I mean, I Ever. think it's just one of those things that on the come up, up to up through the Latifi fight, he at least had the confidence that he was a good fighter, even if he didn't have the confidence to be in the pocket. Yeah. Now it feels more like he has an area where he is afraid to fight. Yeah. And that is rough. Like the fight he had against Modestus Bukowskis was very much I am way, way outside or I am rushing desperately to clinch up with this person. Yeah. And he had it so much his own way in the early going that like there is no explanation for the drop off in that fight other than that he destroyed himself. Yeah. He is not having a good time in there. He's uncomfortable He's being inefficient with his energy. He exhausts himself. And it's one of those things where there appears to be a spiral where he feels that first wave of exhaustion setting in. Yeah. And experienced fighters know that that ain't it. You know, like, yeah, I'm going to get tired. Of course, I'm fighting hard. I have like nine more levels of tired to get through before I'm actually too fatigued to keep fighting. Yeah. But Pedro seems like he has the the complex you see among certain usually young fighters where he feels that. And then he starts to panic. That is what I've always interpreted as being the problem with Shabazian. Yeah. Yeah. He feels fresh and then he feels himself getting not fresh. And then he's like, Oh God, I'm about to lose. Yeah. And starts panicking. That, that front flip roll he tried in Bukaskis's guard. Oh my God was at the end of round one. Yeah. Was one of the most like <laughs> last acts of a desperate man that I have <laughs> ever seen in the cage. Yeah. Was Such like, an MMA fighter thing too. Like, I'm, Oh, I'm getting tired. Things aren't working. I know wheel kick. Like, <laughs> you are on top of this man. Yeah. In his guard. Yeah. You are winning this round. And you just, it was, it wasn't even like a, I think it was like a, I'm going to do like a front flip to try and roll to a somersault to a a somersault pass to get to a leg and like leg lock or something. Yeah. And it was just the like, why? Yeah. You like, this will never work ever, ever, ever. Yeah, And now having done it, like every moment after that, he just looked exhausted and exasperated. And you have to think like what that was the moment where he just like, I have to do something wild to to win this fight in this yep. moment because I can't Hail go. Mary on. comes at the end of a first round, which he was otherwise winning. Yeah, it's all bad vibes. It is. But and, uh, one thing I, yeah, Anton Tricali sucks. I mean, make no mistake. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a com- he's a complete mess. But one thing I know about him is he is tough. He is very tough. He is more than willing to, I mean, he has no choice but to eat any punch that comes at him because he has no defense to speak of, but he's more than willing to keep eating them and keep trying things. 
None that's of like to be punching or hurting his opponent, though. No, that's true. Which is a really good thing for Tyson Pedro. Here. <laughs> that's true. But he is could it, force a grappling exchange against a very tired and scared Tyson Pedro and beat him on the ground. Yeah. Um, most of his wins are ground and pound TKOs or submissions. But he also, at the UFC level, pretty much starts every grappling exchange on his back. Yeah, I, yeah. He can't wrestle. No. And he can't strike. He can't do much. He's got a a funny topology photo. That's what he's got. Uh, Yeah, I I really, you know, I I think I've joked in the past that he's he's the pleasure man because he doesn't know how to bring pain. Like, (laughs) I guess, I guess I'm the pleasure the pleasure man by default. By by default, yes. (laughs) The anti-pain man didn't have the same ring to it. Yeah, you man. But certainly is, against a guy who was perilously close to destroying himself and Vitor Petrino. Yeah. He kept making that fight pretty miserable for Petrino. He, did he make, just kept trying stuff. Yes. He is absolutely like, like a street musician, or, or not musician, but a street magician where like, yeah. there's just an infinite string of handkerchiefs coming out of his sleeve. <laughs> And like, there's no other, there's no other trick. There's no other, you know, <laughs> thing, but it's just, just like 35 yards of handkerchiefs. Yeah. <laughs> is that going to help me? Is that, is it going to, no, there's no payoff. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot of handkerchiefs though. I'm, I, I, I am going to still pick Tyson Pedro. I'm going to pick Turkali because it'll be much funnier. It'll be very funny if he wins. It is literally the kind of thing where you watch Tyson Pedro and I, I watch Tyson Pedro and I'm like, you can't, you're not winning fights at this level, man. Your body, your body language is shot. Yeah. You are taking yourself out of fights even when you're winning. You, nothing about that, you know, beating guys like Ike Villanueva and Harry Hunsucker in the yeah. first round means nothing. Tells, means nothing when you face somebody with a very limited game themselves, like Modestus Bukowskis. Yeah. And you just fall to pieces. Yeah. But or the, the ghost of Shogun Hua, even in 2018, yeah. you're just getting crunched by him. But then uh, you look at Anton Tercali and it's just like, yeah, if he's just going to spend this whole fight pulling guard on Tyson Pedro, but it that might, might actually work is the thing. I mean, if if it wasn't Tyson Pedro actually seppukuing himself the yes. moment the 430 mark is reached in the fight, then I'd be like, yeah, of course. What is Takali going to do? Like Pedro, yeah. Pedro can beat him up and gas and then just like hang around and run away and land some kicks and probably pick up a round. But I don't think I, that's the I, thing. Is I, I, I think this might be the exact I think this might be the exact mo- uh, like opponent to give Tyson Pedro the ability to ride through that horrible. If it's anybody, it, it'll be Tricali because he doesn't know how to do anything. But yeah, but if Pedro makes a catastrophic error of his own, of his own accord. Yeah. Like, for example, the somersault uh, heel hook attack he tried at the end of round one against Bukowskis that's an opportunity where Takali doesn't have to have been proactively effective at all it's true. To, to get winning chances. So I'm taking Takali because I don't trust Tyson Pedro at all against somebody who will not get finished in the first round. There is such a stark line in his career that if the fight does not end in the first round, he simply loses. Yeah. I, I just, he I'm going to a way to lose. I'm going to pick this to be, uh, Tyson yeah. Pedro's uh, Dolce Lungiambula moment, like yeah, Edmund Sabathia be. had between mm-hmm. Bob and Hernandez, where you watch the Lungiambula fight, and you're like, oh, okay. He's found somebody who can't really press him and take advantage of him crumbling. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of like, you know, still putting it together and figuring it out. You can see all the, like, mental and emotional work he's done to – yeah. To coach himself through stuff. But Shabazian this- isn't out there suiciding himself. Yeah. That's the difference is that <laughs> Shabazian doesn't just lose when it goes outside the first round because of some terrible thing he does. 
Yeah. He, Tyson people Pedro. have to break him. Tyson Pedro breaks himself. He really does have that's the, like, the concern. The bumblebee thing of like leaving his stinger in the opponent. Kind yeah. Of yeah, very much so. So yeah, I don't I have no idea how Anton Tercali wins this fight, but I know how Tyson Pedro wins fights period, which is yeah. in first round. And assuming he's not going to do that, I'm simply going to assume that the opposite happens and that he that he loses. Tyson Pedro opened at minus 141. He's currently minus 105. Tricali opened at my, plus 132. He's currently, currently at minus 105. So everybody out there is looking at this and being like, I'm not, I'm not trying, you know, there's no, no there, there is money to be made flipping a coin to bet on either side at dog odds, but no money to be made with either man as a favorite. Mm-hmm. All right. So for all our Substack subscribers, we'll be right back in just a second with a little uh, bonus peek back at last week's UFC Fight Night Gone versus Spivak. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, Go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.